the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. A devastating earthquake in Turkey. And then we're joined by blogger and author Tim Challies. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, friends, welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined by my friend Steve Koble. Aubrey Sampson is back out of town for the weekend, or for the week, I should say. So for the next couple of days, uh, the next three days, you get to hear me and uh, Steve Koble. Steve, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. Anytime I hear you announce me being somewhere, I feel incredibly important and special. <laughs> there you go. Well, that's what we want you to feel today. So uh, people have heard you before. You've now been on the show a lot. But in case people haven't, remind them uh, who you are, what you do. You're a stone's throw from an important spot. Your church. <laughs> Tell us all about yourself. Uh yeah, Steve Coble. I am teaching pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. So, whereas Aubrey is West Renewal Church of West Chicago, we're That's Renewal right. Church of Chicago. Um, and we're a stone's throw from the United Center. I'm actually excited to go to the Bulls Magic game on Monday. So, we nice. got tickets for that. And I live uh, just down the block, probably a walking distance to White Sox Stadium. And last we talked, you're in the middle of a move. So I'm sure everything is unpacked. Everything's put where it's supposed to be. <laughs> everything is good. <laughs> Literally, like the only stress of, of my life right now is is the fact that I don't know where certain things are, <laughs> what box it's in. Why is there still a box in my bedroom? <laughs> I what told you last time. Box? I told you last time you're going to find those boxes four years from now going, huh, what's in these boxes? <laughs> it's true. It's true. So we're glad to have Steve with us over the course of the next couple of days. We'll talk about ministry. Steve is, uh, and his wife are about to have their second child. We will talk about that as well. And we have to get to last time. We're not going to do this now, but last time you were on, I believe the next day you were heading on vacation. So uh, I need an update just to feel warm myself and feel all that. But, uh, Steve, I do want to start with some difficult news around the world. Uh, Sometimes we can become so centric in, you know, Chicago or the United States that we miss these things. Uh, But there was an earthquake in Turkey and Syria that as of last report, I read uh, the death toll was over 5000 people. So it is a 7.8 magnitude earthquake. And you just read these stories uh, and it just it's unimaginable right i've never gone through anything like this and i'm going to ask you a theological question here in a second but when you read these stories of tragedy just what's it do in your soul what do you think as you watch these things man i i just feel incredibly sad and i and even like what you said like the, the theological question is like lord have mercy you yeah. know yeah um what in in almost like so much especially in america i feel like you're you're trying to piece together like the best version of life that you can 
um, that you can have without the any sort of calamity, and then you realize, you know, this is not our home. That's right. Uh, so I, I feel like stuff like stuff like that makes makes us realize that like we're awaiting the the new Jerusalem, um, yeah. where God is going to wipe away every tear from our eyes, and and suffering will be no more. Well, let's unpack that a little bit more, because as you watch the TV, let's let's paint the scenarios. Uh, somebody calls you, Pastor, I'm watching this uh, and I, I got to be honest, when I watch this, I go, where's God? Like, where's God in all of this? Can God be even present in all of this? And they almost say that this is a reason for them not to believe in God. How do you how do we even begin to help people? get a framework for so much tragedy and where's God in the midst of all of this? That's, that's a great question. I I think that sometimes we think, um, we have to give a defense for God. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying that this is like the pastoral answer that I would specifically give depending on the situation, but the, like the factual ideas that I think that I would run through are, um, to turn the question on its head and ask, as apart from the God of Christianity, how does any other religion, philosophy, ideology resolve this tension or this problem? Mm. So 5,000 people die in an earthquake. If we're just uh, here by happenstance and uh, fate is fate, then there is no reason for Mm. calamity or devastation. Um, There's just, it just is what it is. And other, you know, philosophies, you know, other things is like you put bad things out into the atmosphere, bad things came back to you. You know, you go down the list, you you go down uh, all types of different ways to answer that question. But the, the unique thing about Christianity that I think resolves the issue, it doesn't, it doesn't just completely dissolve all problems, but I think it answers the questions the best way. Yeah. Um, why, why do bad things happen? And be, because sin exists into the world. Mm. Um, but here's the good news that Jesus came to do something about that. Um, but not only does our savior come to do something about that, um, but he actually experiences the pain and is with us in it. Hmm. So he's not like far off away from it. The scripture says he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And then the last thing is that God promises to do away with it all. That's right. Um, And so that, that to me is like, when we ask where, where is God? It's like outside of the Christian God, what, what other better answer do you have to those questions? Man, I, I, you, I think you nailed it there because you do want to talk about uh, the, the reality of suffering, earthquakes happen, cancer happens, mm. you know, all these bad things happen. Uh, but then you also want to talk about um, the fact I, I love that all of the times we'll jump to the future. Like these things will not. And that's eventually where we need to end, I think. But but the idea that and, and Jesus is with us in our suffering, I think, is so important in these uh, times to go. Yeah. And he's here. He says, I will be near to the brokenhearted. Uh, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Uh, but then ultimately that there is coming a day when there's not going to be earthquakes. Like, right, when, I, when in the new heaven, in the new earth, I don't have to sit there and be like, gosh, I hope there's not an earthquake or something yeah. coming. They're not coming. Do you think that actually gives people comfort, that kind of future look ahead, book of revelation, no more tears? Do you think that does give people in the midst of calamity um, comfort? 
I think it does. I, I don't think that it's this immediate sense of like everything's going to be okay. Yeah. I think the actual everything's going to be okay um, doesn't come from it doesn't come from the words everything's going to be okay. Yeah. It comes from Jesus is with me in this. Jesus feels this with me. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane crying out to God, if there's any other way to do this, let this mm-hmm. come pass from me. Um he was on the he was on the cross saying, "Father, Father, why have you forsaken me?" Um so that God turns his face uh away from Jesus and turns his face towards us. Mm. Um you know, he's the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And I was reminded teaching um, Matt, uh, John chapter 11, when Jesus goes to Lazarus's tomb, you know, the shortest verse in the Bible, mm. it says, uh, and Jesus wept. It says that he saw how death had affected and ultimately probably what what sin's impact on life in reality is. And it said that Jesus felt moved in such a way mm. that he cried about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's a good word, man. Yeah. Starting heavy today, but man, you, you turn on the news and you can't really get past 5,000 people dying. And the obvious question is where's God in all of that. And, but I do think, uh, we have an answer that matters. Well, coming up next, uh, excited to be joined by somebody we talk a lot about on this show, blogger, author, uh, Tim Challies. He is going to join us. We're going to talk to him about some of his most recent blog posts and just get to know him a little bit. We're going to do that next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. If anybody ever listens to our show for any amount of time, you know, there are certain people we whose stuff we read or talk about on a regular basis. Uh, and we are thrilled to be joined by one of those people. He's a blogger and an author uh, from all the way up in Canada. His name is Tim Challies. Tim, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks. Yeah, it is wonderful to have you with us. And as I said, uh, we love to read your stuff and are grateful for the things that you write. Uh, Let me just read something that you wrote that has been playing in my mind a lot as a pastor. I would love for you just to... Just give us your thoughts on this. A couple of weeks ago, you wrote about what I want from a church. And you said, what we want from church is utterly irrelevant, completely meaningless, entirely inconsequential. All that matters is what God wants. So many of us uh, who pastor are like, yeah, people are just worried about what they want from the church. Can you unpack that statement and why that's so important for us to grasp? Sure. I I think we have two ways of thinking about what the church is and what the church is meant to be. Either the church is something essentially created by God. God knows what it is. He knows what we need. He's created the church in such a way that it will will serve us, it will feed us, it will help us and, and bless us. Or church is something that we've essentially created, and we have the right to define it according to what we want and according mm-hmm. to our desires. And so I think every church is, is weighing this over time. Are, are we going to say, what, let's go out to the community and let's go and ask our people, what do you want in a church? Or are we going to go to the word of God and ask, what does God want for a church? Mm-hmm. Tim, one of the things that I think that as Brian and I have been pastoring, especially on the, like, on the back end or the tail end of the pandemic has been like just getting people back into the rhythm of, of coming to church. 
And uh, and so it, it kind of like has doubled down on the uh, Western American consumerism. <laughs> so it's like not now now people are not even used to coming to church. So now there's like even they're they're coming back like I want more of the stuff that I want. Um, and outside of just, hey, this is what the Bible says. Um, uh, like w- what parts of Western American consumer like what can we say to Western American consumerism outside of just here's what the Bible says you should do what the Bible says. Well, I I think the, the pandemic was certainly uh, an interesting time where it drove people out of church for a time. And I think a good number of people realized, Oh, I I can get along just fine without it. And people who are for one reason or another going to church, but perhaps not really committed to church, perhaps not really committed to the Lord that they're content to just not come back. Meanwhile, society has really turned. So where there used to be some social equity in being part of a church, now the exact opposite is true. You'll be often criticized or looked down upon for being part of a church. So I think those two forces kind of coalesced, and now there's fewer people coming to churches than there were even a, even a few years ago. Um, and yet we understand that in order to be faithful to God, we need to be part of a church, and not just going on Sunday to attend worship services, but part of a Christian community, part of the family of God, uh, identifying ourselves with other believers. This is where we will honor God. This is where we will serve God. This is where we'll serve one another and be served by others as well. Yeah, that's such a good word as we, especially down here in America and the American church, try to help people process this. Uh, Tim, as we said, we talk a lot about the things that you write and uh, one of the most powerful things that you've done recently is to reflect upon the loss of your son. And we've told that story on here often, and I've heard back from people how helpful your writings have been. And I just wanted to share that with you. Um, but what would you say to somebody who's going through a really hard time, who's going through the loss of a loved one, uh, who's like, I'm drowning. I can't even think about God right now. What, what, what have you learned and would want to tell people in those situations? Yeah, I think my family would testify. We've learned that God is very present with us in our sorrows, that mm. God truly is the father to those who have who have turned to him in, in repentance and faith. He is our father and he loves us and he's there for us. And so when we're we're going through those times, uh, we can be we can be sure that he's with us. And, you know, I often think of Psalm 23 and here's the. Uh, the valley of the shadow of death. And you realize that when you're in that valley of the shadow of death, you can fear no evil because you are with me, your rod mm-hmm. and your staff, they comfort me. And so here's the, the author of this Psalm now turning to God and referring to him. You are with me. And we realize mm-hmm. as well that God is the one who has led us into this valley. This isn't the, the lost sheep of the new Testament who, mm-hmm. who has blundered off into this valley and gotten lost. This is God leading us through this dark valley so he can lead us to what's beyond. And so we can have confidence that in our, our, our dark times, God is with us, that God's leading us to something wonderful, something beautiful on the far side of our sorrows. Hmm. Hey, Tim, I um, three years ago lost my mother after a long uh, battle with um, illnesses and stroke, but never had the expectation that she would actually pass away. Um, was really trying to get her back on her feet and was really shocked and surprised. So I know my own story of uh, grief and grieving, um, but I'm curious if you would just share some of 
the things that you found to be really helpful and beneficial in the process. I know that like sometimes grief can, it, it just, it does its own thing, but like some of the things maybe that maybe you found really, really helpful for, for you. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any experts at grief. We all just sort of learn as we go. We're all different. And so we all, through just life, we get entered into these times, um, not of our own choosing, where suddenly mm-hmm. grief is forced upon us. And in those times, I think we realize just how limited and how weak we are, how dependent upon God we are, and how dependent upon other people we are. And that's where we see, we, we started talking about the church. It's, it's in our times of deep grief, we begin to see the beauty and the value value of this community of Christians coming alongside us. And, you know, anyone in your neighborhood can come to you and bring you a lasagna or bring you some <laughs> sort of very tangible comfort like that. But a Christian can come and bring words from God. They can come and bring truths from scripture and really minister to your heart. And so, you know, in those times of grief, we, I, I think in our Western culture, we don't have great responses to grief. We don't have patterns or habits. We, we haven't been trained how to uh, come alongside others in their grief. But what we can do and should do is at the very least, bring them words from the Lord, words of comfort, Psalm 23, other just wonderful parts of scripture that can minister to them and, and establish them in what is most foundationally true. That's a good word. And Tim, we're grateful for your time. Uh, we know you love the church uh, and we love the church. Something we love to ask people like yourself at the end here is we, unfortunately, we talk a lot about the bad things of the church and the struggles of the church, but would just love to know how you'd answer this. Are you hopeful for the future of the church? As you look ahead, are you hopeful for the church? If the church was mine or yours or anybody else's, I would be in utter despair, but the church belongs <laughs> to God. It's his church and he is absolutely guaranteed that it will endure that it will last and um it really is the hope for the world the only hope for the world is the church of jesus christ us as christians doing what god has called us to do so we can have every reason to be completely confident completely hopeful that's such a good word again tim challies blogger and author amongst other things Uh, i can encourage you to go to challies.com c-h-a-l-l-i-e-s.com and there you'll read uh, many of the blogs that we bring you quite frankly here at the common good tim this has been a great pleasure to meet you and has spent some time with you thanks for spending some time with us today you're very welcome yep you're listening to the common good on aim 1160 hope for your life Steve and I are thrilled to be joined by the author of a new book called Rethinking Life, Embracing the Sacredness of Every Person. His name is Shane Claiborne. Shane, how you doing today, bud? Doing great, man. Yeah, you know, celebrating a new project coming out in the world. And thanks for inviting me on the show. Yeah, it's absolutely our pleasure. And if anybody knows anything of you, uh, you do a lot of writing around this topic. But talking about the book, um, just give us a kind of a 50,000 foot overview. What is the Why did you write this book? What are you hoping to see as a result of this book? Yeah, well, I, I, I'm I'm. A big fan of life, <laughs> you know, and, I, uh, and and yet I also began to see that some of us have a hard time thinking outside of one issue. So this mm-hmm. is kind of building a broad framework for the sacredness of life, the, the the deep conviction that every person is made in the image of God, and anything that's crushing somebody's life is breaking the heart of God. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's it's been a holy project to be a part of. Mm. 
Shane, question. Like, when you think about, if you were to summarize sort of like, what does it mean to be pro-life and distinct from the way that um, maybe that people talk about it in mainstream media, how would you describe that? Well, I, you know, I, I, it, it was striking to me that even over the last month, as I'm preparing for the release of this book, we've had multiple mass shootings back to back. We've had executions in three different states. We had the terrible uh, murder of Tyree Nichols. And so, you know, that grieving across the board of the loss of life. I mean, even today, we're hosting a vigil tonight around an execution that's set to happen in Missouri. So... For me, it's not just about one issue, um, but but really about this this comprehensive advocacy for life and celebration of life. Uh, so, you know, I grew up in the Bible Belt in East Tennessee, and I grew up saying that I was pro-life, but we had really narrowly defined that to mainly one issue on abortion and on many other issues where life is really in jeopardy. Christians uh, of my tradition in the evangelical church haven't always been that consistent voice mm. championing life on all fronts. Uh, so I, I still think that abortion matters. I just think it's not the only thing that matters. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And uh, this is a difficult question, but why do you think the church has done well, in your opinion, on some areas, abortion or others, but maybe uh, has lacked in the conversation of maybe it be around guns or the death penalty or whatever else? Why has that been the case? Well, the, these are uh, complicated issues, but, mm-hmm. you know, in the book, I really kind of invite people to think that these are not just political issues. These are not just like uh, social issues to debate, uh, but they raise some deeply spiritual questions. They're, they're questions about our faith. Um, and I think that, that abortion is one of the most complicated uh, issues, partly because Jesus doesn't mention it. It's not really spoken directly to in Scripture, um, even though it was really prevalent 2,000 years ago. Um, and, you know, when I, when I look at the early Christians, though, they did speak about abortion, but they also spoke passionately about the death penalty, mm-hmm. about militarism and, and, and uh, military service and combat. They uh, denounced the gladiatorial games, which they saw as a glorification of violence in their culture. So that really inspires me to, mm. to you know, think more broadly and expansively about what it means to be a champion for life. Shane, when it comes to the issue of the death penalty, what did, did that, you know, was that something that has always been uh, on your heart? Is that something that you came around to uh, feeling passionate about? Um, and how does that fit into the holistic perspective that you have on being pro-life? Well, it's interesting because I spent a lot of my life uh, in support of the death penalty and, mm. you know, uh, ready with the scriptures uh, that I thought defended the death penalty. And then a few things happened. I fell deeper and deeper in love with Jesus, and Jesus became kind of the center of my faith. Hmm. And it becomes really hard to reconcile Jesus's words in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And, you know, I've not come for the healthy, but for the sick. And so many of the things that Jesus said are about ideas of redemption. Is is anybody beyond redemption? Uh, and then I got to know people on death row, Steve, um, and that also really changed everything. And I talk about in this new book about the importance of proximity. 
and relationships. And so I know folks on death row who are innocent. In fact, some of them have now proven their innocence and they're, they're no longer incarcerated. Uh, and I know other folks on death row that are fully guilty of some really heinous crimes. And yet, 20 years later, I'm able to see what Christ has done in their life, to see some of the things that they've tried to do to heal the harm that they were responsible for. Uh, so it raises a lot of really deep questions for me, and, and you know, namely, uh, is, is anybody beyond redemption? Mm. And I wrote a whole book about that, Executing Grace. I wrote a whole book about uh, gun violence called Beating Guns. But the reason I think this new book is so important is that it kind of zooms out from the particular issues and, and kind of thinking more broadly about what it means to champion life and things like proximity that move us from just having opinions about issues to really feeling the impact uh, that this has on real people, whether it's the death penalty or gun violence or immigration or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, let's let's zero in on that idea of proximity. That's really important. Steve and I are both pastors, so we're in the middle of this with our churches and stuff. Um, right now in our in our country, there's such divide. Everything's divided that we only have proximity with people who think like us, vote like us, act like us or whatever else it might be. How would you challenge Christians to think about proximity and especially proximity towards people that you may not agree with? Mm, mm. Well, when when I look at Jesus, uh, one of the things that I see consistently in his life is how he is near to those who are suffering. I mean, Mm. in fact, his whole entire life from the beginning uh, until his execution on the cross is shows us God leaning into the suffering of the world. You know, Jesus comes into the world as a homeless baby, Mm. you know, uh, with brown skin, uh, a, a refugee, uh, fleeing, you know, violence from uh, King Herod. And so, you know, you look at all of this and it's about a God that is, is near to the suffering. So uh, I think Jesus reorients us. You know, I look at things mm-hmm. like Matthew 25, where Jesus says, you know, when you do it to the least of these, you do it unto me and really invites us to think when we welcome the immigrant or the stranger, the homeless, like we're welcoming Jesus. When we visit the incarcerated, we're visiting Jesus. When Mm. we uh, care for the sick, we're caring for Jesus. So uh, this is holy work, you you know, and it's at the heart of our faith. And um, sometimes we disagree because we're just talking about theology or we're just talking about politics and we're not necessarily leaning in to those who are hurting. Um, Mm. So Mother Teresa said, it can be very fashionable to talk about the poor, but not as fashionable to talk to them. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. uh, So I'm I'm trying to invite us to think beyond the cheap activism of bumper stickers and T-shirts and really toward a more robust... uh, Love. I mean, the refrain in the book over and over is, what does love require of us? Hmm. Uh, what does love look like when it comes to, you know, immigration and asylum seekers? What does love look like when it comes to uh, justice and the death penalty? You know, can we interact with evil without mirroring the evil? Yeah. And I think that's really at the heart of, of the gospel. That's great. Shane, before we let you go, let me ask you another one more quick question. Uh, Anyone who follows you on Twitter or knows of you, you're a lightning rod. You talk about things people feel passionately about, whether it be guns or immigration or whatever. And I'm sure this book will do that as well. 
How does that for your soul? Do you welcome that because the debate is good? Or how do you stay encouraged and keep doing what you feel called to do? Oh, yeah, brother. I mean, I think I have a lot of grace with people that are—I <laughs> I, I love that, that scripture. We're working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And I, I've been a work in progress. If I encountered myself 20 years ago, I think we'd have a fierce debate, you know? <laughs> so I think that gives me, you know, a lot of patience to for other people that are, you know, still working out their salvation with fear and trembling. That's well put. Again, the name of the book is Rethinking Life, Embracing the Sacredness of Every Person. Uh, The author is Shane Claiborne, who's been uh, kind enough to spend some time with us. Shane, this is a great pleasure. Thanks so much for spending time with us today. Absolutely. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Steve. Good to be with you. You too. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. For Steve Koble, my name is Brian Fram. I hope that you have a great evening. You've been listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.